You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 445, a very tricky quiz. Nick Cave says blame him, not his songs, and the joy of middle of the road music. That's all coming up after Stackridge and something about the Beatles.
band with so much history behind them. Uh, they were the opening and closing act at the very first Glastonbury Festival in 1970. Mm. Uh, that was a track from their album, Something for the Weekend, from 1999, Stackridge and Something About the Beatles. That is a good choice. I, I, you know, I don't. I knew who Stackridge were actually, and I didn't know that they closed Glastonbury in 1970. Don't ask me why. I just did. But, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't think I'd ever knowingly heard a Stackridge song before, and I very much enjoyed that. I thought it was good. It's lovely, isn't it? Um, hello, and indeed, hooray! Because you've joined us for the Parish Council podcast. It's episode 445. I'm Terence Stackham, and look, there's no need to go out panic buying Juliets because we have one right here. It's <laughs> Juliet Harris. Oh, I, I love the fact that when I went to my local Tesco's, which I always go to, by the way, because it was open, but it wasn't open, but it was. I think it was opened. It 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 re it it was a, a huge um a sort of barn sized Tesco's that mm. closed and then reopened in 2008 as an aircraft hangar sized Tesco's. I can still see the old layout if I close my eyes because we used to go there. Or when you go to your childhood supermarket, it, it's ingrained, I think, in you forever or your childhood shop or wherever. Um, I believe the person that cut the ribbon to celebrate the reopening was the root on Gordon Brown. So I always consider it to be the Gordon Brown Tesco's. So uh, so I, I always go to Gordon Brown Tesco's um, and I went down the various aisle, aisles and mostly it was in fairly good nick but the pasta aisle had been completely decimated um, with dried pasta apart from the, uh, <laughs> the speciality grains and a whole meal and whole wheat pasta uh, which was left largely untouched and I do love the fact that uh, the good people of Hastings have said you know oh even if it is an absolute crisis um, there's still no way apocalypse or not that I'm eating whole wheat pasta God, God bless you people of Hastings also, just in case you think that the people of Hastings are not classy, they did panic by Prosecco from Sainsbury's at the weekend, apparently, as well. Never again will I have my hometown dismissed or looked down upon. Hello, everyone. Now, it's time to turn to the highlight of the week for you all. The, the larger than large quiz with some fantastic prizes to be won and all expenses... <laughs> All expenses paid cruise ship holiday in which you'll be the only occupants <laughs> of the ship. Uh, <laughs> um, now, our, our contestants this week, um, they, they are, in fact, you, the listener, and you, the Juliet Harris. Yeah, so, I, I uh, need to be a regular contestant on this show. Step forward there, Jules. Now, now um, find, find your mark there. Don't be nervous. We're all on your side. You know that. So we're all, we're all <laughs> wishing you well. Yeah. Um, this week, you have to identify five people from five clips of music um, mm-hmm. that whoosh past you in 30 seconds. The theme is British prime ministers. Oh, no. Right. OK. There is, it, not, Sorry, I am into this, but yeah, carry on. <laughs> they're in chronological <laughs> order, so that should help you. Um, so there's 15 points available this week, five for each prime minister, <laughs> five for the artists and five for the songs. And George, your target is 10. Okay, um, that seems reasonable. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, so n- no help from the studio audience, uh, please. Quiet in the studio. Um, let's hope that Juliet does better than last week when she only won BFH, her bus fare home. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why you're doing this, but it's great. <laughs> <laughs> now, re- remember, Juliet, stay out of the black and into the red. <laughs> am, am I dusty bin now? Is that what we're saying? I myself to sleep. A song from the darkest hour It's late 
Betty and Betty. <laughs> um, now, I don't know whether this is going to prove um, difficult for you or, or not. They're in chronological order, um, so that might help you. But let, let's see how we go. Fifteen points available. Uh, what, was the, what, was the, what was the first one? What was the Prime Minister? Right, so it's Sit Down by James. Oh, very good. Right, so I'm assuming we mean some Sonny Jim James Callahan. We do. That's a very good starting point because if you know from that that they're in chronological order, you can't go wrong. Absolutely. So three ticks there. I think you're going to do very well. Here. I think we might be all right. So the yeah. second one is Maggie May by Rod Stewart in a, in, in a tribute to the, iron, the ironing lady herself, to <laughs> quote Stavros from Harry Enfield, Maggie Thatcher. Correct. Um, the third one. Oh, I do like this. We had the salute John B, although I presume by John B you might mean John Major, uh, and yeah, uh, by the Beach Boys. Very good. And then you've you mentioned this fe- fellow. I I saw an oh because you mentioned this fellow earlier. I did, four. yes, and this is one of my all-time favourite visual jokes from a magazine. I believe it was it was either when Saturday comes or it might have been four four two football magazine that in their not in their sort of lower league roundups page they did it by way of a long sidebar running down the side of each page and they just had a picture of the prime minister then at the time Gordon Brown and the caption just read texture like sun for no reason at all and it always made me laugh. So that is Golden Brown, aka Gordon Brown, um, by the Strangler. And finally, a little bit of a trick question, but I think you'll be on top of this. I'm enjoying your cryptic crossword style setting here. Uh, This was Paul Simon, and you can call me Al, although actually we call him Boris because it is Alexander... Boris DeFeffel Johnson or whatever the hell his name is. You didn't need that target of ten. You've got all fifteen. Okay. Look at what you might I've I've won a I've won a speedboat and I live in Birmingham. Oh no, that was last week's prize. This week you've you've won a lovely fitted kitchen from hey. MFI. Oh, thank you. That is so generous. I just need to build the time machine to go back in time. To- <laughs> <laughs> a big a big round of applause for our, our winner there, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Very, very good work. 15 thank out of 15. Much. It's the checkbook and pen that I came for, really. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's interesting. Would Boris Johnson have reached such dizzy heights if he had kept his real name of Alexander? As you said, Alexander Boris de Perfeffel Johnson. Um, mm. His family, uh, those of him that, that still are speaking to him, call him <laughs> Al home but mm. sometimes i don't know somehow al johnson it just doesn't sound like a a prime minister well it sounds too much like al jolson to me unfortunately maybe. the blackface fellow from the yeah, 1930s yes yes and not not um not ideal i don't think coming next pop stars facing the dilemma of changing their lyrics mm. for the modern era uh, that's right after smashing pumpkins we only count
I happened upon this fairly recently on a on a advert for I don't think it was an Apple iPhone, but it was for some technology style gadget. And I had to look up who it was because I thought I really like this, but I've no idea who this is. And I was really surprised when I saw it was the Smashing Pumpkins because it doesn't. I'm a, a big fan of the Smashing Pumpkins. It comes from uh, Melancholy and the In- and the Infinite Sadness, which is one of their albums. I I I think it's okay. I was I, I'm strongly debating this with my best mate the other night, who w- turned his nose up at it. I wouldn't go that far, but it's no it's no Siamese dream, I don't think. But anyway, the result of which I didn't know this was a Smashing Pump because it doesn't really sound anything like them, and I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. That was We Only Come Out at Night. I like Billy Corgan's music very much because (laughs) of the variation. A bit like Beck or PJ Harvey or Todd Rundgren. You're never quite sure what to expect next. And I like that. True. No, absolutely. And and, and he's... I, you know, he, he, the funniest thing was when he briefly became a, wasn't he toured with New Order for a while, which seemed to be a mm. bit a bit sort of incongruous. I remember him being interviewed with them in Q magazine and someone had published something about him being uncheerful or miserable or something. And unfortunately, Billy Corgan had to spend the whole interview being goaded by, uh, <laughs> by Peter Hook, who kept shouting, Bernie, Grinny, grin, give us a grin, Billy, grin. And eventually Billy Corgan then uh, left the Smashing Pumpkins uh, shortly after that, which is for entirely Peter Hook related reasons, I suspect. Now, you may say I'm pompous. Well, if you were to say I was pompous, I would say perhaps I am, but I hope I'm at least. <laughs> I mean, I'll fire you for your self awareness, Terrors. I'm such a huge fan of that. I hope I'm at least a little bit enlightened. I was looking at the set list for the band, uh, the specials from mm. their most recent tour, and I was surprised to see that they still end their set with the song Too Much Too mm, Young. I thought you were going to say that, yeah. Mm. As a young chap, when it was a hit, um, the lyrics made me shudder. Now they make me want to put cushions over my ears. Mm. Um, Notably, Elton John, um, we've mentioned uh, before once that he no longer sings Island Girl at his shows. And similarly, Neil Young no longer sings or performs A Man Needs a Maid Mm. at his gigs. Um, There is an alternative approach for the movie Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Bjorn and Benny from ABBA, they changed the lyrics to When I Kiss the Teacher and the name of the game to make them less creepy so it's quite the dilemma jules it seems for musicians with a, a back catalogue of dodgy lyrics mm, and this is yeah it, it is and this is uh this conversation we're having is sparked by um nick cave the the, the australian singist uh, nick cave um has a i suppose i i still refer to it as a blog but it actually looks like a website it's called the red hand files and it has a thing on it where you can ask nick cave a question and then he publishes them and responds to them and it's it's really great it got in the news a little while ago because he was um offering some really helpful and kind and interesting and calm advice on grief which particularly given that he lost his teenage son some time ago was was really admirable actually i thought it was beautifully done um so this person uh, gavin from dublin in ireland um as opposed to dublin in kent i don't know anyway and it's uh, <laughs> gavin from dublin in ireland uh, says do you ever feel the need to change lyrics when performing live which may be problematic in 2020 for example and i'm not going to read this but oh, um, it's it, it it involves it involves using a word for a cigarette uh, to describe a person and um and parts of their anatomy and all that kind of stuff mm. are you happy to preserve the lyric as a product of its time and respect the original co- the original content so um nick cave gives a reply which is quite interesting 
I don't buy it, but I'm, I'm, I will talk about it. Mm. Um, basically saying, and I regret to inform you, he is literally comparing his songs to school children and saying, basically, don't hurt my babies. It's not their fault. It's my fault as the songwriter. You know, leave the songs. Let the songs have their own life, man, is what Nick Cave is essentially saying, to which I feel like saying, can you grow up, please? Songs are just songs. You're singing them as a person. You're in charge of, of, you've written them. You're in charge of singing them. I get the fact that they were produced in a different context. And he does actually say, and I and I enjoy that, um, perhaps we writers should have been more careful with our words. I can own this and I may even agree. However, we should never blame the songs themselves. Well, no, I'm not, but I am blaming you for still singing them. Um, I, I, One thing that I think gets me about this is... So Kirsty McColl memorably sang on Fairy Tale of New York with um with the Pogues and uh, Shane McGowan and the Pogues, mm-hmm. and that includes the line um which uses the word faggot as a kind of a mm-hmm. term of abuse for 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 uh, it's insinuating that somebody is gay and using that as a sort of a, a negative word, and interestingly uh so ed not interesting i say interestingly not interestingly ed sheeran covered it recently with somebody else and it was in as anemic as you would expect however they changed it to maggot and there was a lot of debate over whether or not it should have been changed to maggot um it was on the gavin and stacy uh christmas special this year and they kept faggot in and had everybody sing along and someone made a really interesting point on twitter that even in the night, you know, even only a couple of years or a few years after that song was first record was first made, Kirsty McColl used to sing it live with her band, and even at that point in time, she changed it to Maggot. She didn't make any announcement about it. She just did it. And I thought, well, fair play. I I admire people. Like Nick Cave says, you can hold the hands up and say they were wrong. But I think to then go, oh, but don't blame my babies, my poor song children, <laughs> is, I'm sorry, a bit ridiculous. I, I, I do think there is a there is a perhaps a conversation to be had about that but in a slightly less slightly less oh i'm so, i'm such an artist i'm so i'm so alternative man type way i find that um to use the word that i use the most at the moment a bit vexing i must admit i i do get that time is sometimes not kind to songs but i do think that the uh, to still be using gay slurs now is is not really acceptable i don't think and what how is it harming you to change it how is it how is it how is it harming you to try and make a few tweaks although it does make me think whenever i think of, of singers and, and songwriters and bands changing their songs i always think of uh i don't know if you've ever seen the episode of the simpsons where homer invents a cocktail that mo then steals <laughs> called a flaming mo and the oh no it's not that one it's that has aerosmith in it i think but no the one i'm thinking of is i think it was crusty the crown's comeback special and they booked the red hot chili peppers to play on it and uh, Krusty the Clown says, now, guys, I've got some problems with your lyrics. And they go, oh, you can't change our lyrics, man. They're like our children. And Krusty says, well, instead of singing what you've got, I've got to get and put it in you. Um, what about singing all I really want to do is hug and kiss you? To which they reply and go, oh, wow, that's amazing. That's so much better. Everyone can enjoy our lyrics now, even children. So I do I do get that that, that it is, it is you know, that, that this is art that someone has laboured to produce. And Nick Cave's, Nick Cave's you know, case, a lot of it is very good art. He's very talented. But I, you know, I, I do think that, you know, if you are to use noel gallagher's lovely phrase about liam gallagher a man with a fork in a kingdom of soup i think if you do end up getting getting kind of overtaken by events i think if you if you don't 
if you don't try and adapt a bit, if you don't try to move with the times a little bit and to show respect and to show kindness to people, there is a danger you'll end up becoming Morrissey. I don't think it's a given for the defence that some artists use, which is, oh, that's just the way it was, uh, the way life was in whatever yes, decade. It now is my, is my, yeah, and I suspect you agree. Yeah, and I, I think using that sort of defence, it's, it's a sort of, um, it's the Jimmy Savile or Har- Harvey Weinstein defence, mm-hmm. wearing a, a, a glam rock spandex jumpsuit i think um there's some some rod stewart lyrics from the 1970s uh, sound terrible today but i again can remember wincing to the sheer nastiness the time, of the lyrics yes. to uh, stay with me yeah at the time that it was a hit and uh led zeppelin rolling stones of course lyrics are often dismally mis, mis- uh misogynist um I do see that the, the dilemma, though. Do you leave the songs to be judged as moments of their time, which you and I, I think, both are, are kind of against? Do mm. you drop those songs or change the lyrics? Or in Robert Plant's case, just turn down millions of dollars to reform because you don't want to sing those words at all? It, it's a, uh, it, in a way, I, I admire that approach, actually, mm. very much. And, you know, I don't know if you... Are you a viewer of Only Connect, Terence? Oh, we, we, indeed. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, at the beginning, so so me and a couple of friends are umming and ahhing about going on, and we were trying to think of, you know, when they say interesting or wacky facts about people at the beginning. Oh, they yes, say, they do. Yes, he, he so once uh, swam across the River Seine fifteen times or something. Yeah, yes. but that was my my all-time favourite. That word, by the way, was a man who once shook Margaret Thatcher's hand whilst dressed as a fifty pence piece. I assume to do a decimalisation or something. But anyway, I thought that was that was superb. Well, my one of my wacky facts at the beginning would be. I once had a door held open for me by Robert Plant. Oh, how lovely! So I, so I can never quite criticise, <laughs> like no. like everybody who He's believes Holman turns turns round on their experience. I'll never have a word said about him because he held the door open for me in Hastings once, and then ten minutes later I saw Lenny Henry on the White Rock Hotel Terrace. So it really was a star-spotting day. There's an interesting parallel to to all of this um, mm. in children's book publishing, because the very, very first books I ever read were Enid Blyton stories. And it's true that um, it, Enid Blyton rather did go heavy with the, the gender stereotypes and a sort of Brexit approach to what she would have called foreigners. Yes. Um, but when Achette published um, what they labelled sensitive text revisions to the set of 21 famous five books it was an absolute disaster sales plummeted and and now six years on from that this was this was in 2014 six years on all of the Enid Blyton books are republished with the original text that is Um, interesting yeah so it 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 is it is a dilemma you know one doesn't want Mm. to uh, really re say give your six-year-old a book where anybody that isn't uh, from the Maidenhead area is immediately to be suspected of of being a foreigner <laughs> and troublesome. Um, but at the same time, if you try and update these books, it doesn't work. And you know, it's, with those lyrics, I too am I'm on. I'm falling onto your side of yeah. uh, revising. Um, but you know, <laughs> the, the point that you make by so just to come back on you a little bit, the point that you make about, and I think this does actually feed in. I think we're still on the same side when I make this point. The thing that you say about the the revised famous five books mm. being a disaster and Slayer's slumped, mm. who were they a disaster for? Because my opinion on this is that if you were to give a revised famous five book, so I read most of the famous five and secret seven books mm. when I was seven eight yeah. nine ten sort of late 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 single years early teens maybe i was particularly enamored of the secret seven i was a huge fan of them but um but i 
if you give it to a child, I mean, there's a, there's a, this is a part, partly around this moral panic about, you know, there was the thing with the drag queen reading a story, wasn't there, in, in, in Scotland recently to children. This idea that kids, kids take a lot of stuff at face value, a lot of stuff at face value. If you gave a kid a book, that was a, a revised Famous Five. They'd never read Famous Five before and you gave it to them and it was this kind of, you know, edited version. They wouldn't tell the difference. They would just read it as a book because yeah. kids were reading books. The Ferrore mm. came from, and I hate to say this, the Brexit style brigade that mm. I think was saying, oh, well, of course, it wasn't like this when I was younger. They ruined it. It's dreadful. They're children's stories. They're meant to be read by children. I know that, that you could tell they're enjoyed by children of all ages, etc., etc., a la Harry Potter. But really, they were written as children's stories. They were written for children to read. Most of the people that read Famous Five and Secret Seven books the first time round are children. I think the people that were protesting about it were people who were, you know, wanting to preserve life as once was. If they're genuinely intended for children, then why not let children be the judge? Yeah, that's that, that's fair enough. Uh, we ha we haven't got a six-year-old here to ask, so um, we'll we'll have to um, commission I'm, a survey. Uh, right, yeah, I was going to say. Well, I'll, I'll ask the ten-year-old in my life if you can. Uh, I was going to say, don't find a child from the street. It might not no, end. No, that could that but, couldn't but, end. But, that might not end well. If you, if you are, <laughs> I feel like the, feel like the BBC. If you are or someone you know is a child, please call the BBC Action <laughs> Line. Yes, please do write in our huge eight-year-old listenership. Coming up. I remember a concert from 1976. Which in itself is an achievement. And Juliet recalls a concert from last week. Which is um, also an achievement if you're me. That's coming up after the Corgis. Your life has been a mess. You'll fall apart unless you change direction. Because underneath the show... Don't think that I don't know you crave Affection On love in the world That's what I have for you On love in the world That's what I have for you Sometimes I wonder why the underdog is either cursed or made to
they put out uh, a lovely album a few years ago which was acoustic versions of their best known songs and as it was recorded some 25 years after the period when they had a few hits there's a sort of wonderful reflective warmth Mm -hmm. to to the collection from 2006 and the album unplugged the corgis and all the love in the world i agree i listened to a few from this album you said you were going to play this and i'd never heard it before or or i'd never heard it in this version before and i thought it was lovely and actually you're right there's a really lovely nostalgic wry kind of sort of sort of thing to it that i think is brilliant i think it's it's the the few songs that i heard from that album i enjoyed very much will definitely be investigating it further excellent um i've been known to mention from time to time that there's this daft myth that in the year or so of punk rock's heyday all young people wore ripped jeans and yeah. spat on Aber and Shawadiwadi records. And, and this simply wasn't true. Mm. A teenager would go into a record shop on a Saturday and buy maybe the new Danzig doll, um, along with Heatwave's Boogie Nights, Boston's yeah, More Than a Feeling, yeah. and then maybe White Riot by The Clash. If you like the music, that was all that mattered. You nice. didn't have to belong to a tribe. Mm. And this was true with gigs too. So at the same time as I was bouncing around to punk gigs in the Fulham mm. Greyhound and the Hope and Anchor in Islington, I also went to see Manhattan Transfer with the Pasadena Roof Orchestra at the London Palladium. And you, 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 worth rem- bearing in mind that we had no internet, very little TV, mm. very little radio in terms of choice in those days. So we all hoovered up music wherever and however we could. And just as I loved the the clash in pubs in Halsden, I also loved Manhattan Transfer at the Palladium. And mm. linking to that pal- pal- um, Palladium gig in 1976, Jules, you you can testify that the Pasadena Roof Orchestra keeps swinging on. Indeed, they do. Yes, it might even have been the same people. They looked quite, they were quite, they were a bunch of older gents, shall we say, but they all seemed very nice indeed. They they introduced one of the brass players as a sex symbol at one point, much to his uh, evident surprise and everyone else's surprise, I suspect. But anyway, yes, I had the pleasure of seeing the Pasadena Roof Orchestra, the, PR, the PROs. They had those those things that, those kind of appendant things that hang down. They still had those. It was it was all very, done very properly. And the, the singer had something of, um, who was called Duncan had something of um, Anton Dubeck about him in that he was a younger man that just seemed to be very old old of another time if you see what I mean there was something about him that he had similarish hair and he was very he was sort of 40 going on 70 if you see what I mean but he had a very smooth voice I enjoyed him very much and they were they were performing with the Papini sisters Mm. Who, if viewers are not familiar with the uh, with the Papini sisters, are um, they're they're sort of they're the the, the gang of a, a woman who calls who goes by the name of Marcella Papini. Um, I think it is her real name actually. Um, who so, is yeah. of, it's, she's an Italian lady, isn't she? she she's of yeah, she's of Italian and I think Scottish stock possibly. Oh. But she she speaks in RP essentially. But she uh, but she is from Italy, I think. And um, she and two women sing together as the Papini sisters and um, I saw them years and years ago and I was trying to remember when exactly it was and this probably would have been about 12 years ago I think at the Delaware Pavilion plugging their then new record and they played with what was described as a grinding punk band (laughs) called chorus it wasn't a good combination i mean they are sort of like andrew's sisters style singers they do a few standards and they do kind of they were the first people there have been lots of imitators since but they were the first real people to do sort of they pioneered something that's known as electro swing 
a genre. Mm. It's, it, there's a band called Caravan Palace who were quite big. Um, it's it's very much that sort of thing. So it's kind of 40s uh, sort of hot jazz songs and standards that are sort of that have a sort of a beat behind them, or are generally made to sound more modern. So they do more modern versions. They do sort of old style, old timey versions of modern pop songs. And when I get it right, it's it's sublime. They did I Will Survive, which was excellent. And they've I've seen them do Panic by the Smiths. Um, they did a, a version of Shallow by Lady Gaga mixed in with a Billie Holiday song, which was excellent. Um, they really did suit the orchestra beautifully. Um, unfortunately, the new album that they're plugging called Dance, 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 or Dance, 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 depending on your region, uh, with the with the with the Pasadenas, um, isn't out until April. So unfortunately, I picked a song from it at the end, but I couldn't pick the one I wanted to because it's not available yet. Which is a a really apparently arranged by Marcelo Papini, a really out there version of Dancing Queen by ABBA mm. uh, arranged in a minor key as a sort of a salsa type waltz it's it's worth hearing it's, it's excellent but uh, they were really good it was at St Mary in the Castle venue in Hastings where I am a trustee so it was lovely to see a, a full crowd on the last night of the Hastings International Piano Festival now we have the piano competition every year but this year it became a whole festival we had Rufus Wainwright the other night as well so it was a whole weekend of Claire Martin and all sorts of people performing but the Papini's closed with the Pasadena's and the only thing which we found slightly peculiar about it. The, the the evening was excellent. There was a sort of a pit uh, in which some sort of local um, Lindy Hop dance class attended. All the women were all doled up and they all got up and danced in pairs during the music, which I think the Papini sisters enjoyed very much. It was it was lovely. It was a very pleasant evening. They appeared to have had a lineup change, which was wasn't wasn't at all. Um, announced now now they're in they're slightly in danger of becoming spinal tap and losing one member all the time or like the, the triggers broom and it, marcella papini remains a constant it was originally her kate mullins and stephanie o'brien now stephanie left um about uh, i think about eight years ago her replacement then left and her replacement emma has been in it for i think several years um kate mullins that they, they, they always have a dark-haired lady who's Mar- marcella have a um a, a, a ginger-haired or red-haired lady which at the moment is this woman called emma who was very entertaining um she was as croydon as marcella was rp actually so the two bounced off against each other quite well um no offense to anybody from croydon i'm a big fan but um the third person woman that came on with blonde hair was not kate mullins and she was introduced as jess and she seemed to be a little bit unsure to the point where they, they, they sang brilliantly yeah. Oh, but for example, they left the state. They would. They did that thing where they do a few numbers and then they go off, and the Pasadenas would play, it and then they would come back on again and sing a few more numbers with them, and then go off. So it all kind of made sense, mm. and it was an excellent gig. But when they went off for the first time, the blonde-haired girl she didn't know where to put her mic, and she seemed a little bit um, sort of at sea, if you, not not distressed, mm. so, but she just seemed to be a little bit <laughs> sort of. And at the end, they said, oh, this is, this is, you know, our newest Papini sister, Jess, and everyone cheered. And Kate Mullins is in all of the publicity material for the new album. She was in the promotional photos that they were tweeting from their account two days before the gig. Uh, there is no mention of Kate Mullins having left on their social media at all. There's a new album about to come out 
out in April. They made no reference to Kate Mullins being ill, Kate Mullins being indisposed. I just found it completely peculiar that the new album that they were um, not meant to be flogging but were had got special dispensation to flog early from the foyer downstairs had Kate Mullins on it. They were signing it with Kate Mullins on it and um, Kate Mullins wasn't there and doesn't appear to be the Peony sisters. <laughs> if you're Kate Mullins or you know Kate Mullins, can you write in and tell me what's going on? I'm really confused. <laughs> it's peculiar. Before, just before we come back uh, to the Pepinis, just want to say thanks very much for mm-hmm. listening. It's lovely to have you along. As always, thank you. And thanks also to Rona and Hilly. I am honking in approval. Thank you, uh, <laughs> I was watching some videos of the Pepini sisters during yeah. the week, and their cover of Rapper's Delight is wonderful. Yes, and it's the, superb, isn't it? They do a great version of Heart of Glass. And I was, I was thinking... The best situation for swing and light jazz acts, I think, is the live arena. Mm. I think that's that, you know that's where it really works. And I, I was kind of dreaming. I was I was watching YouTube videos, but sort of daydreaming that I was like sitting comfortably in a club like Ronnie Scott's, mm-hmm. you know, with maybe yes. a drink and some food. And it seems to be an environment. Um, so yeah, we wish you well all the best to whoever's in the Papini Sisters as yes, they absolutely. continue I mean, their tour. Very um, good job indeed. Yes. I mean, I I hope that Jess and or Kate and the others are all okay. Their tour continues uh, okay, through April and early May. And uh, yes, as you were saying, you've picked a Papini Sisters track for us to close with. Yes, and I think this is excellent. It's a good example. So, so the only two that are available from their album at the moment are Groove is in the Heart, which is superb. It's a lovely kind of slightly ersatz jazz, which I enjoy. But I've picked this because it is... It, it, it doesn't do anything too radical, but it's a nice swing version. It's a really fun song, and it was a really nice atmosphere, actually. I think Marcella said beforehand, oh, dancers, you will like this one. And then everybody did dance and clap along, and I thought it was a really... Fu- they're a really fun band. They're very polished, and they, they do a bit of chat between songs. And it, they, they, it, was, it was a real kind of party atmosphere. And I, they were also very kind to a young boy with uh, not quite some, some sort of special needs. They were very sweet to him. And he went on the stage with them and one of them announced him as her assistant and the other one gave him her flowers she'd been given. So, so it, was, it was a very lovely atmosphere. And I know I've just kind of expressed a puzzlement at the, at the revolving lineup of the Papinis, but they, they really did all do themselves a, a proud, I think. It was a great account. And this reminds me of an excellent night. This is the Papini system performing their version with the Pasadena Roof Orchestra of I Want to Dance with Somebody.
listening to a parish council production <laughs> <laughs>